Well, I'm excited about the next few weeks because what we're going to do uh, is we're going to look at this little, have this little mini-series throughout the month of February called Renew. And we're going to look at the ways that we, in this exciting season in the time of, of our church, are looking ahead to the next few years, looking at how we are seeking to renew our own vision here as a third family. Uh, and we're going to be looking at things like renewing community today. Next week, renewing discipleship. The week after that, renewing mission looking at not just how our, our building renovation, but how in all ways we want to press into this vision of community discipleship and mission that God has given us together. So today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. So if you'll turn there in your Bible or on page 8 in your worship guide there. This is Paul writing to his friends in Ephesus. And let's read starting verse 18. Four. Through him, that is Christ, for through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. A few months ago, um, I had to go to a big event and, you know, one of these event halls and a couple hundred people and hors d'oeuvres and people milling around. You probably can picture what that was like. You've been to something like that before. And I walked in and I immediately realized that this was, my, my heart began to beat because I realized that I knew very few people in the room. Now, if you're an extrovert, uh, that situation is like a big adventure for you. You know, all of these new friends, all these potential contacts to make. But not so if you're an introvert like me. You, you may have heard before that, you know, introverts don't get ready for parties. We gather strength for parties. <laughs> you know, any introverts in the house, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and so I, I've actually, over the years, I know this sounds super weird and I feel weird that I'm even telling you this, but I've developed coping mechanisms and coping strategies for such social scenarios. So one thing I'll do is I'll stand and I'll pretend like I see someone that I know and then I'll walk to the other side of the room and maybe stop at the hors d'oeuvre table on the way. You know, and then when I get to the other side of the room, I turn and then I see another imaginary friend of mine. And so I walk back to the other side because I've, what I've noticed is that I look far less awkward when I'm walking than when I'm standing there by myself. <laughs> is that so weird? Sorry. It's just, you know, if you see me doing that at a party, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Um, now, this, this, this experience of social estrangement is no longer just a common experience for introverts. It's actually becoming a, a, almost a social epidemic um, in American society. I was so fascinated that Cigna Insurance Company um, did a major research project in the end of last year and published it in December. And the entire study was on loneliness as a public health epidemic. And they surveyed tens of thousands of Americans and discovered that almost 50% of respondents report sometimes or always feeling alone, isolated, or left out. And this has massive uh, health repercussions on people. In fact, loneliness has doubled, reported loneliness has doubled in America in just the last 50 years. 
And physicians and sociologists and psychologists are really scrambling to figure out why and to understand why this is happening. And there's all sorts of reasons for causation, you know, whether it's a lack of uh, disconnection from extended families, you know, a lack of mobility, lack of geographic rootedness, um, people living more independently. I'm sure all of these reasons are legitimate. There was also a lot in the study about technology um, and how technology, actually social media and technology used in very modest amounts can actually increase a sense of connectedness, but used any more than a modest amount can actually deeply intensify feelings of social estrangement and alienation. A friend of a friend of mine took this photo um, on the campus of USC. Uh, and you can see sort of what happens is that, is that when, when we are connected with other people digitally, um, it is literally a dopamine hit. It sort of functions something in your brain where you feel a sense of warmth and you feel connection with other people. Um, and sometimes that connection is real, sometimes it's artificial. But as soon as you put the phone down, your, all of that dissipates and your sense of disconnection from the actual people around you only intensifies. And some of that also is because when you're connected with people digitally, some really estranging things can happen. Like for example, if you're scrolling through Instagram and you see all these wonderful curated pictures of other people's lives that look so wonderful and beautiful and they just have a way more exciting life than you are, you know, or you're just waiting for that person to like your post or you're just waiting for that person to send you a greeting on your birthday to wish you happiness on your big day. All of these things can actually deeply intensify an experience of social alienation. So we're in this very strange predicament as 21st century Americans, in which in many ways we are more connected, more technologically advanced, more wealthy, have more resources, more opportunities than we've ever had in the history of probably any civilization, and yet we are lonelier than any civilization has ever been. Everybody feels like a stranger. Nobody feels at home. So in light of that, it is very striking when you hear these words from Paul, you are no longer strangers. Let that sink in. You're not a stranger. Which is why I think the gospel of Jesus is so relevant for our time that Jesus wants to offer you not just forgiveness of sin and eternal life, he wants to, he's offering inclusion into the heart of things. He's offering you welcome, he's saying, you, you don't have to be estranged. You don't have to be on the outside anymore. Through grace, you are welcome in, right into the heart of things. That is the offer of the gospel. You are welcome into the place of belonging, the family of God. And to really understand what Paul's getting at, you have to understand a little bit about what the social structure of the ancient world was. Uh, Paul uses this word in verse 19 that is a very common word for Paul. He uses it many, many times as the letters. It's actually used hundreds of times in the New Testament. And that is the Greek word oikos. Oikos. Now, before this was yogurt, um, oikos uh, had a deeper meaning of household, sometimes translated extended family. If you were in the ancient world, you would never ever see um, just like a, a, a nuclear family living on their own together, like a, a, a mom and a dad and a couple of kids. You would never see that. Instead, what you would see are clusters of oikos, which were essentially um, big communities, extended families, 
that were called households that lived together. And they were children and grandchildren, moms and dads and grandparents, nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles and servants and slaves, uh, even neighbors and work colleagues, all the, like 50, 100 people sometimes, all living together in a common estate or in a common cluster of homes. And it was such a powerful vehicle of social connection in the ancient world that if you were a part of an oikos, you had a place. Even if you were a refugee or an alien or a widow, you had a place, you had belonging, you had an identity, you had a clan, you were home. And so what's very powerful is that Paul is using this image of the oikos, and he's now using it as a metaphor for the church, saying, now, in and through Jesus, every single person is invited in to the oikos of the Trinity, the most important oikos in the universe. He says in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He said, before, before you knew Jesus, every single human being is essentially a spiritual refugee. Wandering. Hopeless wanderer, like Marcus Munford says. You know, estranged, separated from God. Separated from fellow human beings. This is what sin does. It separates, it, it divides, it creates barriers between us. We're separated, we're spiritual refugees. But now, he says, through Jesus, you're brought in. This is why I think there's such a longing. And even, the, even in pop culture, we have these longings for stories of belonging and stories of being a part of a people and coming home. My parents watched Cheers growing up in the 1980s. You know, We watched Friends uh, in the 1990s. In the 2000s, there shows like Modern Family. In 2010s, it was This Is Us. You know, all these shows are about becoming a part of a community in which you belong. And Paul says, now, all of you who are on the outside, estranged and isolated, the door has been opened wide, and the whole Trinity is standing on the front porch of the welcome, as the welcome committee calling you home. The father's saying, come on in, daughter. Come on in, son. Jesus is the older brother saying, you know what? I laid down my life just to get you in here because I love you. And the Spirit is beckoning you in, giving you a hot cup of tea, setting you down on the couch, maybe with a warm blanket. The whole Trinity opening the door of the household of God, saying, you're at home. You're welcome. That's what we were made for, friends. This is what we're all called into. What is this community supposed to be like? The church is supposed to be that kind of community, a household a household of God. Well, Paul names a few characteristics in here. He, first, I think we see hospitality should be a mark of the church of God, the oikos of God. He says in verse 18, in Christ, we both have access. In other words, both he's referring to the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul picks out two very divided peoples at the time who were in many ways enemies and he says, now through Jesus, guess what? Y'all are part of the same family. Paul has a radically inclusive vision of hospitality in which now people who were sworn enemies out there <laughs> are now brothers and sisters in here, called to live together in the household of God. You know, if Paul were writing today, uh, he would probably say something like, you know, now uh, you both, black and white, you both, Democrat and Republican, uh, you, you both 
able-bodied and disabled. Uh, you both old and young. He, he, in every way, the human community is divided. Paul says, Jesus has torn down the wall and opened up the household of God to start a new family of very peculiar, eclectic brothers and sisters. It's a new family that is rooted not in a common culture or a common race or common politics or common common income. It's now based around a common experience of Jesus that we might all taste the rich grace of Jesus together. Every single person is invited in. You're welcome here. Hospitality. Another characteristic we see is interdependency. That's a fancy word that just means we're kind of we're kind of rooted, we're, we're welded in, we woven in with, with each other. In verse 21, Paul says, in him, the whole building is joined together. You two are being built together. This metaphor of the temple is often used in which Jesus is the cornerstone and we are all the individual bricks and we make up this spiritual building and the Holy Spirit lives inside of it. And there's nothing more intense of a metaphor uh, for human community than bricks being mortared together. You know, that's how interdependent Paul says we are. Ever played Jenga? You know, that, that, with the, 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 the blocks and you try to pull them out one by one. What happens when you pull the wrong block out? The whole thing tumbles because the individual bricks are that interdependent on one another. And Paul says, this is now your new reality in the church. You're not a club. You're not a religious group of people worshiping in a temple. You're an interdependent family. This is why when we baptize little ones, um, I ask you a very difficult question. I say, do you promise to help raise these children in the way of Jesus alongside these parents? And if you're courageous, you say, we do. Because our family is an interdependent family. This is why in the early church, people like um, widows and single people and sexual outsiders, people who would have been left on their own to fend for themselves are now included in the family of God and actually have a place of significance and importance in the church because we take responsibility for each other as an interdependent family, interdependency. And then one last quality I think we see is transparency, that the oikos, the church of God, is meant to be a transparent people. You know, we're not a club, third family. We're not a club. We're not a, we're not a religious club. We're not a social club. We're certainly not a country club. Clubs gather around common activities Families are gathered together around a common purpose to see each other grow up into maturity in Christ. This week, uh, we were had a funny conversation around the dinner table where um, my kids said to Sarah and me, you know, we, we, have a, we have a problem with something because we've noticed that, like, if you're yelling at us in the kitchen or in the car and then, like, someone calls and you're, like, saying, hey, be quiet, kids, then you pick up the phone and you say, hello. And you just like totally change, and that suggests to us that uh, you're like doing some pretending here. You're not really being, and so it actually opened up a really interesting conversation about integrity and what it means to be the same person private that you are in public. And y'all, clubs don't do that. Families do that. Families are all up in each other's business. And Paul says that's what families do. You confess sin to each other. You speak truth and love to each other. You bear each other's burdens. You are honest and transparent with each other. You don't come into here to church pretending like you're, you know, all put together, but you are honest about your pain, honest about your sin, honest about your struggles, transparent before each other. Is that your experience of church? It's a very powerful metaphor. 
And so what we want to do as a, as a church family is just continue to press into this. I mean, there are ways that I love our church family, and I see many of these qualities exhibited. I just saw, you know, just recently a, 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 a family whose marriage was in crisis, and rather than pretending like everything was great, they, they shared it confidentially with several other close friends in our church and came around them, rallied, dropped everything to support this family in love. That's beautiful, friends. That's interdependence. That's transparency. There's other ways. Hey, we're sitting around the family table right now, right? We can be honest. There's other ways that we can press into this more. You know, we can become a more welcoming and inclusive community, especially to people of diverse cultures. Uh, we, can, we can really work hard to feel less like sort of an insider country club sometimes and feel more like this raucous family in which people who are all beat up by life and come from very different stations feel welcome that they could be a part of this community. So we can press into all of these things in the coming years. How can we do that? Well, by working hard together on what we do here and then what we do out there. You know, it's very interesting what happened in the book of Acts because you read in the beginning of the book of Acts that day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, that was a description. Have you ever noticed that before? That they have this pattern where they have big church, they come together in the house of worship in the temple, and then they have small church, they scatter and gather in their homes. Big church, small church. What's interesting is that 25 years later, at the end of Book of Acts, when Paul is talking to the elders of Ephesus, he says this, I did not shrink from declaring anything to you that was profitable, teaching you in public, which was in the hall of Tyrannus, which is where the church was held at the time, and from house to house. What do we see? Big church, Small church, it's the pattern they kept for 25 years, and then it's the pattern that over 2,000 years, when the church has practiced that, when they've come together in big church, in a, in a common house, and when they've scattered together in little church, in scattered homes, the church is strong, the church is healthy, the church is practicing these characteristics of what it means to be the oikos. Common house, scattered homes. And that's what we want to work on, both of those things in the coming years. First, we're going to work on our common house here. And I want you to understand that the work that we're doing on our building uh, is not just to fix up uh, mechanical systems so that they don't break, but it's actually so that we can help our church building better express the values of the kingdom of Jesus so that we can become a more hospitable community. You know, our building is what I would call an insider space. You know what I mean by that? It's that if you are a member and you've been around here for a while and you're an insider, you know what to do and you know how to get around. But if you're a visitor, good luck. Uh, you know, we had, we had over, over 2,000 visitors to 3rd in 2019. And do you know what is the constant refrain that we hear from all of our visitor friends? Help, I'm lost. <laughs> I, nobody knows how to get around it. No one knows where to come. No one knows what to do when they get inside. In fact, uh, we found a visitor who was wandering in the basement for two weeks scavenging for food <laughs> last week. Um, I'm joking. Um, Winston, you know, after Parliament was bombed in World War II and they were rebuilding it, Winston Churchill famously said, we make our buildings and then our buildings make us. And what he meant by that, of course, is that the architectural and the built environment that we inhabit conditions our behavior. And so if we have a space that is just for insiders and that is inhospitable and is very confusing and unclear and is highly inaccessible for people with disabilities and the elderly and is unwelcoming to visitors, guess what? We're conditioned. We begin to reflect 
the spaces that we inhabit. And we want to fix our building, not just to repair it, so that it becomes a powerful tool for us to express the hospitality and inclusive message of the gospel of Jesus. Right? Common house. But that's not enough. It's also scattered homes. And we started Parish Life two years ago for the express purpose of seeking to be more faithful to this vision of the oikos in the New Testament. And so we have in our church 12 parish areas, smaller geographic-based gatherings in our congregation, groupings, sorry, where everyone has an elder, a group of elders and deacons who are assigned to them and who care for them and help provide in times of crisis or childbirth and come alongside them and help nurture parish areas. And then in each of those parish areas, there are parish groups, which essentially are a reclamation of this New Testament vision of the oikos, multi-generational men and women, boys and girls, old and young, messy, gather on a big table, messy time, open doors. This is the vision of the oikos of people called together around Jesus in mission to a common place. And so we're going to be working hard over the next few years, led by Pastor Derek and his wonderful team, to continue to make our parish life more excellent and to pursue this vision so that every person, not just in here, but out there in our neighborhoods, knows that the Trinity is welcoming them in to the oikos of God. So friends, I'm so excited about this. Common house, scattered homes, renewing community, pressing into this vision of the oikos, Jesus our brother, God our father, the spirit inside of us, speaking through us to a world that feels alone, isolated, and estranged. Welcome home. You belong. So as we come to this table, let's just remember this, that Jesus is our cornerstone and he was cast out. He gathered his friends around the table, the family table, and he knew the only way that family would be formed was through his broken body and shed blood. Our brother Jesus was excluded that we might be included. He was cast out that we might be brought in. He was made an orphan that we orphans might be sons and daughters. So as you come to this table, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is here and he loves you. And that he is saying to you, in and through me, you're no longer a stranger. In and through me, you're no longer on the outside. Uh, in and through me, you're home. Come on in. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the hospitality of Jesus and for the hospitality of the entire Trinity who wants to open the oikos of God to all us spiritual refugees. So thank you, and we pray that we would taste your grace as we come. In Jesus' name.